0: Hi, Kako, everyone. Welcome to episode 9 of the Moana Nui podcast. Today, we sit down with Afua Richardson. Afua is an African, indigenous, American comic book artist and illustrator, best known for her work on the Eisner Award winning series Black Panther World of Wakanda and HBO's Lovecraft Country, which is one of my favorite shows. In addition to being an illustrator and writer, Afua is a musician, vocalist, performer, songwriter, voice actor, activist, and mentor born in Harlem. She is currently based in Georgia. You can find Afua on Facebook at Dr. Foo's Lab, on Instagram at Dr. Foo, and via her website, afuarichardson.com. You'll also be able to catch all of those links in the show notes. In addition to that, I also have a good friend of mine. You are getting a two-hitter today. We got Michael Watson from Chat and Draw and he is going to be on with us tonight as my special co-host. What's up, Mike? Hi, Afua. Thank you so much for your time and, and for coming on the show. It is, this is like the highlight of my week that I've been looking forward to. Um, and I, I'm just so honored to have, to be able to just share a little bit of space with you.
1: Oh, likewise. And uh, um, congratulations on your Kickstarter.
0: Oh, thank you so much.
1: Crowdbacker. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Mike, you want to introduce yourself real quick? Oh, oh there
2: you go. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, trying to do something different so we can get all the screens up here. <laughs> uh, as my wonderful sis introduced, I am Mike Watson and very happy to be here, super excited. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do my thing on the show. No pressure at all though. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> Chat and Draw and Moana Nui and Aquarius Book of Myrrh. What other indigenous excellence can you expect today? <laughs>
1: right? It's just all in one place. The tidal wave. That's- is awesome <laughs> that's happening right now.
0: Yes. I love it. I, I love these collaboration opportunities. It's it's so much fun for me to, to be able to connect not being able to be at conventions is a bummer for a lot of us cuz that's how we spread our projects but it's been amazing to be able to like connect more with creators cuz usually we don't have time to talk, you know, talk to each other and get to know each other and really so I'm really excited to do friends this. Are at
1: conventions. I'm like, "Man, <laughs> yeah. all of my friends are at conventions." I have to like I have to like stage these I, I they feel unusual cuz it's like come meet me at my house. There will be food. <laughs> <laughs> why is it weird to have a party
0: now oh goodness Whatever. that's right oh we have an online party here um right. yes whoop, whoop. <laughs> all right so um we'll get we'll get started um where did you grow up and how did you get your start in comics?
1: um well, i was born in new york city and um, I, I loved comics ever since I was nine years old. I had more comics in my closet than I did clothes, which <laughs> is, is really, if if the same were true now, I, I'd need a very big place. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved comics and, and I was always, you know, drawing little versions of my own in a sketchbook, but I was a musician. I went to LaGuardia for the performing arts, did an undergrad at Juilliard, but I was always carrying a sketchbook with me. I think when I was a teenager I started going to comic conventions uh, especially when I realized that my favorite creators and the writers and the editors and the people who did all the hiring were at these shows and you could just talk to them. So of course I was terribly shy and so I'm just standing there like a weirdo holding on to my sketchbook looking at my favorite creators and they were gracious enough to say Hello. (laughs) Is that a sketchbook you have in your hands there? And a lot of them took the time to look through my work and, you know, they said, well, you know, you're really good. Why don't you work on perspective or, you know, study a little bit more anatomy? And they gave me some really, really great uh, tips and pointers. And I started building a website. And uh, in, oh, I want to say 2003, I got my first Marvel cover. And the rest is kind of history. I, I was doing all these other odd jobs. I was a, a voice actor and a background singer, and a flute player, and i just doing everything that I, I could with my artwork while I had a, a desk job or uh, a bartending job, just something that was flexible. And then I went to San Diego Comic-Con in 2006 or seven. And uh, I met Mark Silvestri and I walk oh. up to him and um, I buy a book and have him sign it. And I hand him a little postcard with my artwork on it and, you know, a place he can contact me. And uh, he actually recognized one of my pieces because I plastered it all over the Internet. I I, I hope so. Uh, (laughs) And um, maybe six months later, I got asked to do my first Top Cow book, you know, with Image Comics called Genius. And the rest was history.
0: That is so cool. I didn't know that you did the Top Cow book. What was Genius about?
1: Uh, genius was about a 17 year old tactical genius that was born in South Central in the hood. It was almost like her her brilliance for strategy and wartime strategy was lost on anticipating the moves of football players in the street. And um, she started to realize the patterns of her neighborhood, the the cyclical nature of public school to prison, the gangs that were fighting against each other and just kind of being cannon fodder for the police and saying, "Listen, okay, I know we have all of these rivalries and we're, we're, we're injured and we're, we're trying to find safety and stability or just family, uh, however we can and power with mm-hmm. various means. But at the same time, we're condemning ourselves and we're fighting each other when we're not the enemy so right. they start she starts dismantling the gangs forming a citizens militia and taking over these different blocks in in south central strangely enough the book was released um, maybe a week or so maybe even 5 days before all of the riots and the events that occurred in Ferguson, Missouri. So, oh, it wow. the and so people thought when they read the book and they saw tanks rolling on US soil that I just took things from the headlines and put it on my pages. And I'm like, wow, it's really sad that this is relevant, but I'm glad that this can open up a larger conversation through fiction. Uh, after that, I, I started doing um, a lot of cover work Captain Marvel, Totally Awesome Hulk, X-Men 92, All-Star Batman, all the projects that I loved and the (laughs) characters that I nerded out over as a a kid. I I was asked to draw them. I'm like, really? For money? That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so I've been doing this for about 15 years now. I've learned a lot. I've, I've definitely <laughs> learned uh, a great deal. And that's why I'm so excited to be working on Aquarius, the book of Mer, which is my first creator owned since I got started. I feel like I- I've, I've seen so many wonderful writers and their scripts and I've read so many comics that I feel like I'm at a place now where I can say, okay, I can give and be my best self for this book. It's a modern retelling of mermaid myths and legends from all over the world Uh, and I've it's just been so enjoyable reading and researching and then just talking to people who are from the places that I'm writing these legends about and uh, there were some stories I'd never even heard of some places I'd never heard of this this world is large and small at the same time and every place has their stories and is touched by water in different ways I mean we're mainly water. So that kind of makes us all kin.
0: <laughs> yes. And I love that because when I, when I, somebody had shared that you, you know, you had a project going on and I was like, Oh, like, you know, I need to check this out because I love a fool's work. And then I I was listening to your video and you were talking about the ocean and how it connects, you know, all of us. And it's so easy to find division, but the ocean unites us. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm trying to do with Moana Nui, like Moana Nui means the vast oceans that connects us. So I was like, okay, (laughs) Pua, like we need to talk because like, this is, this is my sis right here. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so um, can you tell us like about like, what was your, um, like one of the favorite cultures or mermaids that you uh, incorporated into your project?
1: Oh gosh, it's so hard to pick a favorite because each one is just so fascinating. There's um, the ads in South Africa, which is kind of like my my villain in this uh, in this particular issue. She's a, a blood sucking water firefly that gets into people who are envious and jealous, so she can
2: okay very okay. <laughs> like i'm in this whole sketch and then all of a sudden blood sucking fire <laughs> i
1: never heard of this before i was just like what the no no like when i read about it i was just like oh but I, there weren't any there weren't a lot of photos or a lot of illustrations of, uh for it so i was like ooh that means that i might have liberty to reimagine her so i've given her this lion's mane of like ooh. sea urchin quills And a lamprey mouth and like the tail of a stingray and just, I've just been a hyper predator. And I was like,
0: (laughs) this is awesome. You just named like three or four of my favorite animals. I Hold on. I need a minute. (laughs) I want a
1: monster. I want like a real, like nature is warning you with the neon signs on her body that don't, don't trespass. And then there's the, um, uh the Sabawai Ilnu from uh the Mi'kmaq in Nova Scotia. Oh uh, their name uh translates into water dwelling people or halfway people and the legend is that um many years ago when the well it even corresponds with the end of the last ice age or the end of the younger dryas which was a particular period in time where there was just a warming and then they're freezing over and then a warming again some 13,000 years ago. But uh, essentially these people lived close to the shore and and what would be now below sea level. And then a giant flood came and they were transformed. And now they are people who can live in and outside of the water. And uh, that to me sounded like a frog or something amphibious, something that can live within both worlds. So I've combined pre-exposure Mi'kmaq uh, to, or the Lunuk, to um, to an albino frog.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And so deep below the water, they're not getting any sunlight. So they have all of these like, human-esque features, but they're frog-like also. And they're very tricky. They, uh, they like to play with people and, and cap over uh, canoes. And they'll leave you alone if you give them some tobacco or a knife, but if you disrespect them, they will send a
2: storm. Yes. <coughs> tobacco, <laughs> I mean, tobacco or a knife you say. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sorry, I just gotta, how did we get to that be the thing <laughs> that they want? I mean
1: I mean it's so interesting all of these stories. Like in 2012, uh in Zimbabwe, there was a dam being being excavated. They were building a dam. The workers came rushing out from the site saying, We're not going back down there. There's an injuzu. An injuzu is a mermaid type creature, but not a pretty one. Okay. And um of course the supervisors and everyone are just like, um, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right, right
1: like we've got a contract and okay, we will hire somebody else. So they interviewed a bunch of other people. Do you believe in Injuzu? in what no I don't believe in okay what are you asking me if I believe in Santa Claus too? <laughs> <laughs> and so they go down there and they come running out and they're like, listen, I don't know what that is, but I'm not going back. I think I believe in Injuzu now. <laughs> and so then they hire white workers who are not from the area, who have never even heard of Njuzu, they go down there and they come back and they say, um, you've got some kind of something down there. And um, yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) And so the minister of water has to create a beer to satisfy whatever that thing is. Beer. I'm so serious. I'm so you can Google it right now. Injuzu in N J U Z U, and you will find in Zimbabwe people have been attacked. Some people have reported they were late to work and got their front teeth knocked out because Injuzu sent a water tornado. I wish I were alive. <laughs> <lying. laughs>
2: this is awesome. I'm, I'm, just <laughs> blown, I'm just blown away by the thing that they want. Right, it's right, so right. random. So random. So like, I
1: that's what I like about it. It's so bizarre. So I'm going to try to make it make sense because there's no explanation. And of course, I'll you know give credit to where the actual story is from and where I'm drawing it from, so people can look and research on their own. Because as I'm discovering it, just like
0: like wait,
2: <laughs> they want what? They do what? <laughs> like, do you do you know how messed up that scary movie is? How do we beat the creature? Right? I have no idea. And you're running past like a six pack of beer in every scene and like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, that's terrible.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting what each of these things want. And um, my, my main character, Astara, sees one of these things in real life and she doesn't know what it wants. And she doesn't care. She just wants to get rid of it. Mm. Um, but what it actually does want is something very fascinating, so... Yeah, you'll find that out.
0: Yes, I'm so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, it's it's interesting because like, you know, when I when I heard you were doing the concept of mermaids, I was like, man, I haven't thought about mermaids since The Little Mermaid, you know, when I was small and Disney was mm-hmm. doing it, and um, you know, people always say it was like this fictitious thing. But then like I go down and like you're your project sent me on the research, you know, down the research hole. Mike knows me mm-hmm. for this.
2: That's what she, um. That's <laughs> what she
0: And I'm like, I find all these like YouTube videos of like, you know, like, I mean, they're, they're blurry, like some of them, but like clearly there are like water creatures that, yeah. you know, and I'm just like, what? And then I'm, you know, I'm going down the Twitter hole and I'm like, okay, I need to stop. I need to, I need to just stop. But I just, I find it so fascinating. So I am so glad that you're exploring this because it's, it's another, um, just such a unique way for us to learn about different cultures and areas of the world too.
1: I mean, I, it's been so much fun to speak to people. Uh, there's a gal who's from a small town in England who I met at a convention, and she was telling me about uh, growing up uh, in her town and just the legend of this giant water dragon that came, you know, barreling towards her town and was beaten by a baker? Wait, wait, that one one. throw really hard biscuits at it? Like, how? <laughs> 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 but um, there were also Coast Guard reports uh, of, a, of a man who, he, poor thing, I, you could tell in the report he was very, um, he, he knew what his report sounded like. And he was like, I, I have to report what it is that I saw. And what I saw was some kind of creature that was the size of a bus whose eye was the size of a, you know, a beach ball. And it looked at me and it growled and it turned around and slithered away when I pointed the torch at it, when he pointed his uh, flashlight at it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't know what it was. It was huge. And it just happened to be on that strip of land that has this legend about a water dragon. And then she herself um, grew up in a, a fishing family. So if you can imagine a strip of land that is only, it's all rock. Yeah. It's jutting out from the beach that is maybe 30 feet wide and goes out for a couple of miles. Mm -hmm. So she's out in the ocean with a little knife, you know, uh, husking uh, oysters and clams and watching people get knocked off into the ocean. And she's like, she's cold and hovering. She's like, I hate seafood, I hate fish. And I just thought, wow, how fascinating. What an interesting life. I'd been running into people from New Orleans, people from Haiti, um, people even stories in Japan. Yeah. Uh, where there is a there was a story about a nine hundred year old nun who accidentally ate mermaid meat and uh slowed down the aging process.
2: You so said awesome. that where was that at? I'm, That's I'm, in I'm,
1: Japan, the the Yao
2: Okay, I'm not a big seafood person, but that might be something I want to try out.
1: Oh. <laughs> if you turn her hair white, however. So if you're cool with being a sunbox, oh. then well, I'm like...
2: already I'm already getting the gray. You know, Storm looks real good with the white hair. Right, right? Right?
1: <laughs> Stark white, you can you you can you can rock it. Yeah,
2: yeah. you got the melanin. It, it looks
0: good. Melanin rocks everything. So you know, hey. <laughs> Guys, okay, Afua, tell us about the songs that you're doing for this campaign and who you have with you <laughs> on your collaboration team because there's somebody really special in there.
1: Oh man, I am so excited! Um, before doing comics, as I've mentioned, I was a musician and I uh, I played the flute for 20 years and I sang background and did you know session vocals and things like that and I got to perform with like, ooh. I got to open for Parliament Funkadelic and perform mm. with Sheila E. and open for Outcast and John Legend and uh, Raphael Sadiq. I, I said Alicia Keys already.
2: You can say it again. It's okay. I know.
1: Okay. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> She's just so down to earth and warm, and like you feel it in her music, and you hear, you're just like, oh, yes, yes. Her 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 voice is like a blanket. But uh, for this project. I'm going to have music sort of be like a, an additional storytelling prompt. So, in some instances, the lyrics will be the narration. Uh, for the audiobook, of course, I'll have music behind it. But uh, in some instances, there won't be any dialogue, and it'll just be the song and you reading the comic. And one of the songs, uh, I'm happy to say, will feature Daryl from Randy and C who is a big comic fan. If you don't know, he makes comics. DMC also stands for Daryl Makes Comics. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah. Shout out to the homie
2: Daryl. Right, 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 right.
1: (laughs) And the other two amazing musicians uh, are Mike Smith and Paul Ritchie, who you may not know, but they have been responsible for so many different artists and so many different uh, productions. And uh, I think they're working on something for run the jewels and uh they've worked with remy zero and just their their list of artists that they've worked mm-hmm. with are like it's like a grocery list and i'm like wow why do you guys want to work with me <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy you guys can work with anybody they worked on frank o- frank ocean's album and these are songs that are, are really from my heart and and just I wrote them throughout the last year, just, oh man, with everything that was going on, it really evoked a lot of feelings and emotions that I I think maybe I walled off and I just kept myself too busy to even really analyze, but Hmm. with nothing to do but sit inside. (laughs) um, It gave me a lot of time to, you know, really get back into the things that I, I was neglecting and one of which was my music. And so I'm really happy to bring that to this, uh, since I've kind of left it alone for, for so many years. I was in a band maybe up until about five years ago or so, but um, this this feels like it's so much more of me,
2: and yeah. Yeah, I'm super excited.
1: And I'm also terrified, but I'm
0: super excited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm... um. I'm a little bit curious and not to backtrack any though, but can you tell us what was your moment of power? Like the moment you got your superpower for arts and comics, like what was that thing that kickstarted it for you?
1: I don't know. I, I, growing up, I was a very shy person and I didn't trust what I thought or felt, mm-hmm. but I trusted mm-hmm. what I made, you know, and I would always carry around a sketchbook with me. And even if I lost it, even if I, you know, something happened to the book, I felt like no matter how many times I'd been knocked down or, uh, there was one point in my life I was homeless. Uh, I was, I was pretty young to, to be sleeping on strangers' couches, but I always had my book with me or a book with me, or if I didn't have one, I would make one. And that's kind of what kept me, what kept me going. It was, um, it was one of those kinds of things that uh, would help me rewrite my mind. Mm. So I'm, mm. I wasn't a homeless person. I'm an artist.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. I love that. Just like mm. the resiliency and how art like saves people from difficult situations. I've, I've heard that as a trend, you know, like as yeah. I've been at home, right. And, and, and just kind of digging into people's stories and, um, like I had uh, my friend DJ on for the season one and, you know, he had got into a really bad accident and, mm. you know, he was immobilized for months. And um, before that accident, he had given up on comics, you know, his art because he didn't think that he could do it. But during that time is when he came out with his series and he started wow. his own studio. You know, I feel like even though now is a very difficult time, there's so much beautiful art and the community is just like hard at work right now. I I absolutely love what I'm seeing, you know.
1: Yeah, and I I totally agree. I, I feel like it's usually the the fire that uh sculpts the iron. When you think about those really difficult times that people faced and the music that soundtracked it, you you heard the pain, mm. you heard the the struggle. And you you saw people taking the things that they were experiencing and converting them into uh, something constructive and something that captured it and took it out of their chest and stopped it from rattling around and made it into uh, something beautiful and, and something that someone could relate to and also carried them through. I mean, you think about civil rights movements, you think about um, revolutions and the songs, that Mm -hmm. uh, carried along and represented these movements. And then it gives you a glimpse into the mindset of the people at the time. Right. Same thing with art and illustration. You know, it's a a time capsule of, of emotion as they funnel what's going on into their works. Yeah,
0: definitely. That's so beautiful. Like being a Black woman in comics, that's, you know, it's not something that you see all the time. How is that changing over time? Are we? Do you think what's getting better? Um,
1: what are Definitely. your thoughts? I mean, it's when I entered comics or when I first started going to comic conventions, I was surprised to see that there were a lot more Black folks and there were a lot more women and minorities there than I thought. Mm-hmm. I went to New York Comic Con and I, gosh, I must have been, I might have been eighteen, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or maybe in my early twenties. I don't know, um, but. I ran into Karan Grant, Green. I saw Aletha Martinez, and she was inking Iron Man. Mm. Uh, she was doing, you know, backgrounds for Joe Quesada, former CEO of Marvel. Right, yes, it was she's from Honduras. It was she was the first Black woman who I saw sitting behind a table, and I'm like, oh there there she is, she's right there, just, just regular job, like this is her job, there is no other job, it's just there, and then I saw Gail Simone, and she's writing comics, and like, there's Joyce Chen, and Celia Kyle, and Lewis Small Jr., and I was like, oh my God, there's John Romita Jr., and he's Latino, and I'm like, wait, you know what? Everybody here is, you know, getting hired, Mm-hmm. it's difficult because you know at the time there wasn't much of a uh comics went through its rises and falls you know it wasn't always oh cool i get to draw spider-man and i that means i get spider-man movie money no. mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> let, let, let them know let them know Definitely <laughs>
1: no. um i i would speak to neil adams and neil adams is notorious for being very uh What's a nice way to say grumpy? <laughs> but, you know, he's just seen it all. And yeah. he has been very, like, it's that same grumpy attitude that uh, he, he's brought, he, does, he brought. He does. He's seasoned. He, he's very seasoned. And he also was grumpy enough to be like, hey, you know, we deserve, and this was you know, back in the day when Jack Kirby was still alive, we deserve $150 a page. And according to um, copyright law, Marvel and DC and all of these places are buying the right to publish this, not the rights to your originals. We are mm-hmm. supposed to keep those. And when they laughed at him, he found some small company that would do it. And he took all of these artists with him until Marvel followed suit, so that grumpy attitude, you know, <laughs> made the industry a lot of what it is today. And I would speak to him uh, when I uh, when I was just when I was just just getting into drawing comics, and you know, my page rate was low because, you know, it, it was a it was a gamble. I'm a new artist, and they don't know if their investment would be returned. Mm-hmm. They've seen my work, but. It's not just your work, it's your online presence, it's your personality, it's can they sell you and the art?
2: Please tell them again. Please tell them again.
1: <laughs> everything that you put on your social media, not that you should edit yourself, but be mindful that employers and people who are looking to hire you, will. As- they know that looking at what you put online, that is associated with your work. Mm-hmm. So, if you're cursing and hollering and doing all kinds of things, then you might be a liability for a children's book.
0: Right. You know,
1: so you might have to either separate yourself or just be mindful that as an artist, you are a brand. And so, yeah. coming from the music industry, uh, I knew that very well. And I had a website very, very early on. It was very web 1.0, but it was there. <laughs> and right. I had business cards and postcards instead of carrying around a big portfolio book. I was like, well, here's a postcard with the latest work of mine that I'm proud of and a way to find me. And I would put stickers all over New York. It wasn't me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, 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 was a lot harder to be seen. And I think now the challenge for a lot of artists is how do you become seen when there's so much out there to choose from? Mm. Yeah. And My answer to that is make what you love because it'll show up in the work and answer questions. Find out what's missing. How can you be of service with what it is you create? What's missing? You know, it's kind of like, I'll hear people all the time talk about representation and saying like, oh, I don't see enough this. I don't see enough that. Make it or support it.
0: Say it again. (laughs)
1: There's an opportunity there. That means, you know, it would be the same thing if it were socks. Oh, they don't make socks for people who are over six feet. Okay, well, get to sewing. Right. (laughs) There's there's a business opportunity there. So if you don't see enough black, this. If you don't see enough Asian, this. If you don't see enough white rappers, If you don't see enough, whatever it is that Mm -hmm. you want to see, be it or make it. That's... That's it. So when I started drawing comic books, I was like, "Man, I I I came from music, but I also at one point in my life I wanted to be a just for a hot second, uh, an Olympic runner."
0: I could see Okay.
1: It. I could oh, see on. it. <laughs> and Chitar from the ThunderCats. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's right. What were you? The 100, the 200, 400, which one?
1: 100 relay.
2: Okay. Okay. Oh, <laughs> What, and what high put, jump and long jump. I see you in my territory now, but what you putting out in that hundred? I was doing a twelve back in my day.
1: Very <laughs> nice, very nice. I think maybe like a thirteen-four.
2: That's what's up,
0: Usain Bolt. Where you at?
1: <laughs> I,
0: was, I was, I was trying, I was
1: trying. I, I was a lot better at the high jump and long jump than than relay, but I did it anyway. I it was, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of explosive power then, but. What I also noticed was that athletes who did different events, you know, like were shaped differently. Mm -hmm. People who did the pole vault versus those who did discus, their bodies were built differently. Yep,
0: Um, discus here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there was a lot of smooth muscle because they were it was a lot of like muscles filled in. Their hands, you know, were thicker, their their arms and their arms and uh, legs were thicker also. Mm-hmm. Um and I started noticing the differences between superheroes and their activities. And I was like, well, you know, if Wonder Woman was really lifting that car, she'd have some crazy quads. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> She would be a quadzilla for real. I don't care if she's an Amazon and has powers, like all the squats, yeah, she'd have some thick old legs. So I just started drawing it. And then um, I I guess I became known for drawing really strong women. And I'm just like, I'm just drawing what I see. That's right. (laughs) I'm drawing what I know. I live in New York City. There's a, a, a rainbow of possibility here, but I see all kinds of people. And I just think that that's missing in my favorite books, but that's okay. Cause I have a sketchbook and I can make my own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it all the time. Don't get mad, get creative, get to work.
0: Yep, <laughs> um, Yep. Yeah, yeah. and, and I'm excited because the sketchbooks are in the Kickstarter y'all. So, yes. you know. So all
1: can- of my work for the past five years, including mm. all of the sketches and comics and panels and pages from Lovecraft Country.
2: Oh, oh,
0: love Country. oh,
2: yes. Let's talk about yeah. Love great, great segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can we? Uh, big fan of the show, but I would love to know, like, exact how much did you work on the show? We know, I know, the comic book was in there with your art being featured and stuff. Was there anything else that you specifically worked on?
1: Let's see. I worked on anything that uh, Diana Freeman sketched. So, from uh, the little sketches in the first episode, okay. she's sketching out Orithia Blue, uh, all the comics that were on the table, uh, Panther Man, which when you stop and think about it, yeah. Orithia is her mom, but Panther Man is her dad. You know, mm. Going out to the jungle, going out into dangerous territory, getting information and bringing it back for a motorist for the green
2: book. Okay, when man, you know, yeah. look at that. Okay. Six months later, I'm still learning stuff about that show. That's great.
1: <laughs> and oh my god, everything about the show was just so handcrafted. I mean, the the underground tunnels,
2: mm-hmm. those were built. Wow. Oh, okay.
1: Those were built on a slant so that the further down they went, the higher the water was.
2: Oh wow.
1: Yeah. So they made a maze that the camera crew could follow through and then walk above and then get shots there too.
2: I love movie magic.
1: I mean, just, it, I mean they even uh the part where they're walking across the beams,
2: mm-hmm. they
1: built an actual beam. It was 20 feet off the ground and not a hundred, but <laughs> still 20 feet off the ground. Right. <laughs> Um, but as far as my participation, uh, I did all of these comics, all of the atlas drawings, so all of the drawings that were on the map, as well as Hippolyta's travel comic.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: That And it's unfortunate, we didn't have enough time because we got some dates mixed up, but that was supposed to be a full comic. In addition to uh, Hippolyta giving me an awesome shout out, thank you to Misha Green and to J.P. <laughs> Jones, who is the um Misha, of course, is the executive producer, and JP Jones is the prop master. And a prop master is a person who makes everything that isn't wardrobe that the actor touches.
2: So okay,
1: he made the orrery that golden thing that spins around. No, the um, he made Hippolyta's sword during the battle. He even made D's notebooks, so he got the pages printed, hand uh, hole punched. The edges of the book, and he made lots of them so we could have lots of sheets of paper to look like they've been, they came out of a notebook, were ripped out, and comics were made on top of them. Um, so everything was just so, so handcrafted. Each of those cars, there were like six of them because some had to be flipped over and exploded, some had to be set on fire, some had to have a sugar jump, jump on top of yeah. them. As far as, you know, uh, additional work on the show, I I gave Hippolyta her hairstyle. Yay. Wow, all right. We were deciding on like an afro or like uh, the Mr. Glass kind of half afro where it's like mm-hmm. cut out on the side or, you know, a little curly kind of like boop boopie doop hairstyle. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, why don't we make her hair blue? How about we give her the Betty Rubble? and uh, that's what we settled on plus it would be kind of difficult to put an afro in
0: a bubble
1: maybe yeah. <laughs> a good one
2: anyway yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely look but, yeah. um when when a woman speaks about hair i've learned to listen i've had a <laughs> i've had an artist come on my book me and my boy james for emerald quest we designed all these cool cool character women and we had all this absolutely. wild hair and it was her turn to draw the book and she called me was like mike um can I touch the hair, please? I was like, what's wrong with the hair? Me and James looked at tons of reference of of all these different hairstyles. She said, just let me touch the hair. She touched the hair and I ain't got no complaints at all. She touched that damn hair.
1: (laughs) That was amazing. They filmed it here in Georgia. Uh, And it was 15 minutes from my house, so I got to work on set and I got to see all of the behind the scenes. And I also did the the charcoal scribbles when Dee couldn't speak Mm. about Topsy and Bopsy. So okay. She had to. She didn't know what was going to happen to her, and because Lancaster put a spell on her, she wasn't able to speak about it. Remember, he had someone in his closet, and he mm-hmm. had the opposite. You know, dead men talk, so he can get people to talk, or he can get people to shut up. So, anytime Dee tried to talk about it, she couldn't express what it was that she saw, and so she drew it.
2: Hmm. So, so, did they actually use your hand for that, or did you pre-draw it?
1: I pre-drew them, okay. and then I also worked with Jada Harris, who is D, uh, and we we went over, you know, how I created them so that when it touched her hands and she had to draw on top of these things, or she was drawing on top of the newspaper when her friend was killed, uh, it would look believable. And she oh, would, come. we we had a couple of art lessons, and she's a fast study. I was so proud. <laughs>
2: That's what's up. I always wondered how they did that in movies. Cause I was always looking like, you ain't drawing that man. (laughs) Who's that artist? Who's the real (laughs) hand there? (laughs) Um,
1: um, The the instructions were, make it look like a talented teenager, but make it look cool. Make it cool. I was like, bam, copy that.
0: So did you, were you there um, when they were filming the Topsy and Bopsy episode?
1: I wasn't there, but I did get to see the, uh, the screen test. Nope. Nope. Mm-mm. That's a whole lot of no. Yeah.
2: I'll tell you how good Lovecraft is because I'm a straight punk. I don't do horror anything. And, um, Oh yes, my wife's got to hold me. I've got a Nerf gun with us. Um, yeah, but I watched every single episode of Lovecraft and was upset at the same time because I was like, there's no safe zone. They're not safe in the daytime, they're not safe in the nighttime. I just I get no rest.
1: Nope. Oh my gosh, after that episode in the basement with the exorcism And the yes. the baby head, I was like, Yeah, I need water. I need I need water. <laughs> I just kind of sat back and I, you know, and I was glad, I was glad that even though I I got to work on a lot of the set, I didn't, there was no spoilers for me. You know, I knew that um, uncle George was going to die, but I didn't quite know how there were a couple of scenes that were, that were removed and there were some decisions and things made and changed. And so I was asked to draw uh, Uncle George being shot by a police officer. And maybe that was Dee's way of dealing with the news, or at least that's what you know she was told, but uh, they decided not to put that in. Yeah, with this uh, Book of Murder Kickstarter, I'm including my uh, Art of Fu Richardson zine volume one and volume two, which will have all of these and little notes and things like that explaining you know, what oh they are, gosh. the scenes and the episodes and Um, just some of the thoughts. Because I did have to change my style up a a little bit. I I couldn't just draw things uh, regularly. So uh, there was a a bit of a challenge with that, like the urge to make something the best you possibly can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, okay, you know, some of those considerations are not there when you're a younger artist and you you don't have the dexterity yet. Uh, So... A way for me to get past that and the need to refine and resketch was to just draw faster. To just draw really really fast mm-hmm. in, in a way that was like okay you can't fix it too bad it's a line it's there <laughs> commit to it. And, I'm like, ah, so and also I was limited to the tools of the day so tools that were used in 19 55. Right.
2: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I that's a good
1: point. Markers. I could use white out, but I had to use Prismacolor and China markers, and crayons, and just wax pencils and anything that Dee would find around the house. And I'm just like, yes, whiteout existed. We had to look these things up. And I was like, was there a whiteout dust?" <laughs> <laughs> so I could use a whiteout pen, you know, which didn't exactly exist then. But I was like, look, it's whiteout.
0: Okay. We're
2: going
0: to go with
1: it.
2: <laughs> uh, custom beliefs. If y'all didn't look it up, somebody else was going to look it up. It's true. They actually it's have true. that. Yeah.
1: The fan the fan clubs are really cool because people really get into intense discussions about Lovecraft Country.
2: Yes. <laughs> oh, we got know. into one. Yeah, so I know it happens.
1: Like, say what you will about Christina;
0: she never lied.
2: Oh yes. She yeah. Never yeah. Lied.
1: She was always she, straightforward. She never she didn't mention that she was occasionally William, but she was always straightforward. Like, okay, you have to volunteer to. Uh, be a part of this ritual. These are the things that I can do. These are the things that I
0: can't. How has your um, your life changed since Lovecraft Country?
1: Oh, man. Um, it's been interesting. I've been running into people that I don't know who know me. <laughs> Outside of comics. Because, you know, you see your convention family and you'll see folks. And you're just like, hey, uh, MomoCon, right? Or DragonCon or you know, C2E2 and New York Comic Con. All of these different places where you, you, you're like, wait that's right you had the foamy sword and, okay and you know we we bond over cosplay and, and those crazy convention moments but now I'm seeing people like way outside of the comic book arena and I've and even as far as my work is concerned I'm being opened up into a brand new world of working on television and ad campaigns and it's put my work on such a an elevated platform, and I'm I'm super grateful to Misha and and JP because not only did they have me be a part of the production itself, even in the post-production when they were doing the the behind-the-scenes filming, Mm -hmm. all the title cards and crafting Lovecraft Country that uh, said things like creating a legacy or this place is dangerous, just getting into Uh, each of the different aspects of the show they had me draw and create oh wow yeah and they wanted me in when they did ad campaigns with vanity fair i had you know the senior director of condé Nast calling me up and saying you know this is the first time that a client has said okay we have an artist we usually have a whole bunch of artists who we pick for something but they said nope we have someone who we want to work with thank you
2: that's what's up. Yeah. Um, and
1: like they didn't have to do that at all. They didn't have to involve me. They didn't have to do any of that stuff. And it's, they didn't even have to mention my name in the series, but they did. And when I spoke to JP, who's worked on so many different films, I mean, he worked on Logan and Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, his list of credentials is, is absolutely insane. He was like, man, this is the most amount of Brown people on a movie production I have <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's great, right? First of <laughs> many? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, it was... I mean, there were folks from all walks of life, from the hairdressers to costume designers, I mean, thousands of people, many, many hands came together. And I i was just glad to be a small part of it. And they had all this video um, behind the scenes video and promotion that they created getting letting people know like uh from Eric Yamamoto who did the storyboards to uh JP he has a a, a video on YouTube they made one for each of us featuring us and I'm like wow that's that's crazy you know
2: like it's
1: right. hard to sometimes even get your name put on a comic book
2: <laughs> well that's got to um that's got to feel really kind of awesome i just i just read an article the other day where Alex Ross phenomenal legendary comic book artist who was venting and complaining online on to website a website that he did not get paid for the usage of any of his kingdom Cun designs from um the comic book when they used it on the cw Mm -hmm. crossover uh when they did uh stuff on the um DC shows. He didn't get paid for any of that when they used Wonder Woman's armor in the new Wonder Woman movie. He designed that armor. And That's what I mean. Like you got no nothing.
1: There are artists who, um, who know how to ask for those things. And that's why you have to be about your business as an artist. I, a couple of years ago, I got a really great lawyer and, you know, he's letting me know like, okay, this is possible. This is not, this is what this contract says. Are you okay with that?
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: A lot of times people just sign the contract because, you know, 420 an hour, 450 an hour, $500 an hour. That's really expensive and people can't afford that. They barely get that per page. Yeah. That's usually someone's cover rate. That's the whole job. And so since then, you know, I've been able to pay him and, well, you know, before I was paying him in pieces thank you thank you <laughs> now, now I'm able to to pay him out right but there's there are people like George Perez George Perez has created oh man now I gotta now I gotta wiki him because he's created so many characters but he has negotiated for the rights so whenever there was a cartoon whenever there was a comic, we never there is anything. He gets paid. As a matter of fact, he will go to conventions and sign books for free because people liking his characters gets him paid. Yep. You know, so he created. Let's see. Let's scroll through. Um, I know he created Starfire. Uh, let's see. I feel like I'm gonna lose all of my nerd points for not knowing all of the characters. Ah. And,
2: sorry. <laughs> Down to I, zero. <laughs> I think you're fine. Uh, I forget names all the time. Me too. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. there. It's
1: it's in there somewhere. Um, but he's an artist and a writer, so it's fantastic. And he just, I mean, he's been working on comics since the early '80s, maybe. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, New Teen Titans, all of that stuff. He he got in a contract that he would be able to receive residuals for these things. And you're not always going to be able to negotiate that. And it's going to be tough because there are a lot of people who will just draw it and be fine with it. Um, but really saying, okay, well, I've created this thing. I think I deserve just, just a small flick of it because look at the owners of Superman.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. This is your intellectual property. and And that's why I think, you know, making my own story. I mean, because I look as an artist. You know, if I've worked on Black Panther, it's not my job to own Black Panther. That that has been created, and it's just for me to take my my vision and apply it to what's there. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, I took pieces of me and and my culture, and and when I um, created the covers for Black Panther and did some of the interiors, I included the Adinkra symbols, which are from Ghana, which is the same place that my name is from. I read the synopsis of each issue and I took the symbol that correlated with the story. So with T'Challa on the cover, he was away from Wakanda and it got decimated by Namor. And uh, when he comes back, you know, there's, there are these power vacuums. Th- they're in Civil War.
2: Oh, yeah, I remember that one.
1: And so what I thought would be a fitting a Dinkra symbol, which is basically like a uh, a sigil that represents a philosophy created by King Kofi, you know, um, I believe sometime in the early 19... I want to say 1930s. I could be wrong. Um, but, ne uh, mm. he who wants to be king must first learn to serve. That is a symbol Maybe. that I dedicated to the Black Panther. And with the Dora they are... The royal guard to black panther but they're also supposed to be celibate to make themselves available to potentially be queen um, and that didn't exactly happen in the movie but that's you know what they were in the comic that's what they were supposed to be so violating that oath uh two of them falling in love with each other and then seeing that things are happening and and women are being kidnapped and so on and so they go against uh, what they were supposed to do and, and do what they think is right, which is defend the people, even if it's against other royals and other high-positioned people. And then they kind of start a revolution, so the symbol that I put behind them basically translates into freedom comes with cost. Mm. Um, the last character that I have on there is an inhuman named Zenzi, who is kind of like an empathy amplifier or an emotional Ooh. amplifier. So if you are feeling angry, even just a little bit, if or if you have, you've ever felt any anger at all, she can draw that out to the point where it's deafening. So I thought, tambo benfre or the enemy will stew in his own juice was perfect for her. And so with each of the, the prints and things like that that I send out, or if someone buys World of Wakanda from me, I send them the little postcards with the, the symbol and showing them like, okay, this is what this means. And this is why I put this in here. So I love like little Easter eggs like that because there's so many layers to each story and there's so many layers to a, a person's culture. It doesn't really matter where they're from. There is a story connected to them and a history and these symbols and things that our, our ancestors have made to embed information, to carry through uh, the ages, they have meaning. And, and we can choose to carry them on or reinvent them and make new ones.
0: So. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you just dropped so many jewels right there. I, I, yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: I was like, oh, I've been talking for a long time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like enamored the whole time. I'm like, yes. <laughs> So Afua, being a powerful woman, a woman in your um in you know in your life and in your field, what tips would you have for other women whether in comics or or in life? Like what tips would you have for women trying to build alliances with other women?
1: Well, um number one, you're not in competition. Mhm. <laughs> um build uh build alliances you know, and, you know, not everybody who shares skin is kin. Uh, it's yeah. it's sad to say, you know, but get to know people, like, connect. Don't just network. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not always about what they can do for you. Right. You know, like sometimes... You'll just get to know someone. And, and I think that's really the best way to build a connection with someone, especially in this industry, because it's, you, you never know who knows whom.
2: Uh, yes, yeah. Uh,
1: it's, it's just better to just, you know, if you have a bad experience with somebody, just kind of, uh, unless it's, you know, uh, very detrimental, like, okay, that, that person drinks and drives. Don't get into the car with them. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, these conventions would be wild, y'all. No, but, but even then, just kind of keep it ab- about the work but also, you know, get to know who someone is because if you're going mm. to build with them and you're going to, like, work with them potentially on something, you want to know who they are because this work is hard. Even yeah. though it's one of those, oh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Like, yeah, 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 that's a lie. <laughs> 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 because art our- is... You're problem solving. You have a vision in your mind and you're trying your best to resolve it in proportions, in an angle, in color that will evoke the most amount of emotions that's accurate to what it is that you're feeling and Mm -hmm. you're trying to communicate. So that's hard. Sorry, <laughs> like you constantly have to sharpen your skills, you're constantly ne- learning new, uh, new techniques, you're constantly improving, you're constantly working on hands, you're constantly doing anatomy, you're doing all these things. Don't make things harder for yourself by making enemies needlessly, and make enemies when there's a miscommunication, and you can avoid communication by listening, right? You know, so, you, you know, not only listening because people talk, and talk can be cheap. But how they behave, you know, observe, just listen, listen and Mm. and observe and and see how people move and see how people act and just, you know, choose your alliances wisely. Wisely. You might find friendships in unexpected places. And I'm just, I've met so many different kinds of people in the comic industry. And I got to say, a lot of them are really cool. (laughs) it's it's actually nice to know that there are a lot of really cool people some people are quirky and weird but it's comics y'all like (laughs) and you know what don't let yourself be limited by other people's doubts
0: yes preach on it say it again don't don't,
1: just don't let because okay i got a chance to work with Melvin Van Peebles. Melvin Van Peebles is the father of Mario Van Peebles who was an action star in the 90s. Melvin was a World War II pilot. He was the first black stock treater. He created a film, he became knighted. Uh, he won all of these awards, he won a Grammy, he won an Emmy, he just won all these crazy awards, and he just taught himself things. He's like, I'm going to teach myself French, I'm going to teach myself how to use a camera, I'm going to teach myself film, I'm going to teach myself music, and I'm going to write a soundtrack, and I'm going to give it to this local band called Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I'm like, what?
0: what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
2: like... Okay, okay,
1: okay, okay. Did anybody ever tell you to just choose one thing and just be good at that? Because I get told that all the time.
2: Yes, I was told that.
1: <laughs> Quite a bit. And he says, Well, whatever it is that you decide to do, do it well. Just mm-hmm. do it well. And and really the only people who are saying that who are ones who are saying, you know, how dare you try? If it walk, oh, if it were wow. walking and talking on the phone. They wouldn't say that to you, would they? But you have the same 24 hours in the day. It's your choice to choose how you spend it. Yes, and if you're going to be good at these things, guess what? You're not gonna be going out and partying. You're gonna have half the time that everybody else has, but you'll have twice the wisdom. So what are you gonna do? He's like, I could have gone out, I could have done this, I could have done that. And sometimes I did those things. It's nice to celebrate, it's nice mm-hmm. to get out. It's like, but I would make a list. I would make a list every day of those things that I want, things that I need, things that I dream about. And the things that I need first, like I need some new socks. (laughs) I was like, okay, fair. And the things that I want, I want a better computer so I can get this work done. But I got to get past what I need first in order to get to that want list. Mm -hmm. And the things that I dream about, having a whole studio. But once you start knocking those things off the list and making it real, the path from need to dream becoming having gets shorter and shorter because you know where you're going. If you just if it's just this ambiguous thing, you're never going to get to it because you don't know where your GPS is taking you. You don't know if you're there yet. So for artists who want to do two things at once, dedicate those hours. Go in the direction of What's uncomfortable? If you're uncomfortable drawing big, bubbling muscles, well, guess what? Go online, watch some UFC, and start sketching. You know, if you feel like something is something that you've always wanted to do and you keep talking about it but you don't do it, put it someplace where you can see it. Mm. Just put it in an area that is in your line of sight all the time. And that constant reminder, you'll start to act on it you know, start making that roadmap to what it is that you want. And then you can kind of start wanting new things. And be okay with criticism, but trust your vision. You're making something from your heart. Nobody is inside your head. And even though there are thousands of artists who draw really, really well, what you make is valuable. There may be something that you have to say and your experience and your heart and the way you say it that touches someone that somebody else won't get to. Yes, there are, you know, fantastic, beautiful pieces out there everywhere, but they can't draw all the things and they don't tell all the stories and they're not you. Hmm. You know, so who you are, what you have to say, what's important to you may also be important to somebody else. So value that, give it time, give yourself time and be patient with yourself. And most importantly, try to have fun.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, mm-hmm. you dropped so many nuggets tonight. Like, this is, I feel like this is a great, such a, I got so much more out of this episode than I was even expecting, which is like <laughs> hard because like I already thought that this was going to be amazing, but like you, you took it up another notch. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we got to have some time with you
2: to get I to know. know you
0: and, you know, pick your brain about all the wonderful things that you're doing. Cause me and Mike are like huge fans of you. Um, oh. And hopefully in a couple of months you'll you'll see more about why. Um, <laughs> we got like a project that we're working on, and it's inspired by some of the work that you did.
2: So, oh my god, yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah,
0: yeah, we're having fun. We just you know, it's trying to carve out the time to do it, but yeah, it's gonna be a
2: lot of fun.
1: For sure. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait.
0: I can't wait.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I'd be very happy to show you that and see what you actually think of it. Yeah, Uh, that would be right? (laughs) Like Moana is crazy, crazy detail oriented, and I just love to draw kick-ass women, and like we've just been working on this thing with our friend Lori Foster as well, and they are just incredible like just with the insight that they give me and you know they they catch me and like hey mike i know you didn't mean to do this but you kind of got to think about this when you're drawing this type of female or this type of body type or anything like that stuff that i wouldn't even notice that i don't even think is a thing you know they bring to my attention and like there's been cool. putting a lot of work on it and it's it's a it's a big passion project that i'm enjoying oh,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> that's so
1: exciting i i'm sure it's going to be amazing I, i'm i'm excited already Yes. Just the yes. fact that you made it.
0: All right. Well, we don't want to take too much more of your time. Um, tell us where they can follow you. Um, let me drop the link for the campaign so they can support Aquarius Boogamer. Guys, you're not going to be disappointed. Like, I mean, come on. Listen to what this lady said for free. Go support yeah, it.
2: <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. I can't. I can't express as much as how much I agree with Moana that you just dropped so many nuggets on this episode and it was just a pleasure and an honor to sit here and, and conversate with you while I freaking sketched a mermaid. Uh, So (laughs) it's great. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
1: I love it. I am, I have a group on Facebook called Dr. Fu's lab and Uh, I really miss, you know, being back in New York and just hanging out at a Starbucks with a bunch of my friends and like we pass around our sketchbooks and we critique each other's work and um, just being around other artists while drawing. I think that's something that uh, really helps someone grow. You know, but also just having a platform where someone can post and if they want critique, they could have it, or if they just want a place to share, you know, they can they can go. So it's called Dr Foo's lab D-O-C-T-A-F-O-O. Foo's okay. Lab. Um, but um you can visit my website, uh, afuarichardson.com. That's A F Frank U A Richardson I'm also on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Dr. Okay. F-O-O. Uh, I am on Twitter and Facebook as well under my name Afua Richardson.
0: Alrighty guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, be sure to subscribe to Chat and Draw on YouTube, Twitch, um, where else you yeah, Facebook. So again, thank you so much Afua. If you have any last words.
1: Create boldly, love fiercely.
0: I love it. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Words from the queen, take it, internalize it, apply it. Y'all got this. All right, Mike, last words. Yo,
2: my night was better than y'all's night because I kicked (laughs) it with these queens out here. All right. So uh, I think it's awesome uh, to draw for you and be on here and ask you questions and listen to your experience, listen to your advice. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Like I told my wife, as soon as this came on, put this on so my daughters can see it, to see a woman of color that is out here kicking ass in the industry, doing her craft, following her passions. Uh, So much respect to you for that.
1: Oh, man. Thank you. So much love, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All righty, guys. Well, mahalo nui for supporting Moana Nui. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Be kind to each other. Wear your masks. Mahalo nui.